So what do you think? Is there really power in the name of Jesus? What happens if every time you speak His name, something bad happens? What happens if you go out and you begin to share your faith and you start to tell people about Jesus and you lose your job? And you can't pay the, the, your, your mortgage anymore and somebody comes and takes your house and... And then you continue to use the name of Jesus and, and people throw you out of town. What happens then? You are describing the first two missionary journeys of Paul. Everywhere he went. Think about for a minute as we begin, as we consider Acts chapter 18 and and God gives Paul this tiny little sweet year and a half. But everything leading up to that was battle, battle, battle. Everything after that was battle, battle, battle. We find Paul in Acts chapter 18 tired. He got chased out of every single town he went to. He got driven out, beat up, thrown into prison. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. That means three times beaten, caned until whoever was beating you was tired. Once drug out of a city and stoned and left for dead. When we started the second missionary journey, we see him first find himself in Philippi. What happens in Philippi? He starts to preach the name of Jesus. What happens? Uh, Opposition comes against him. The devil starts to move. The next thing you know, he's chained to a piece of stone. His shirt stripped off his body and they beat him until they were tired. Then they took him into prison and locked him into the stocks. You remember what he was doing there at midnight, right? Praising Jesus. Maybe he just kept singing over and over again. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Scripture tells us that an earthquake came that night and every prisoner was set free. And none of them left. Would that not boggle your mind? Where were they? They went deeper in the dungeon to where Paul was singing. Because they said, how do you sing a song like that? Look at your back. Look at the scars on your body. Paul would say, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He left Philippi and went to Thessalonica. Same thing, spoke the name of Jesus. Opposition came, battle ensued, riot, crazy time. Ah, people grab him and drag him out of the city. Goes to Berea, shares in Berea, starts talking about power in the name of Jesus. Boom, opposition comes. What occurs? They drag him out of the city again, put him on a boat, send him to Athens. He, he loses all his friends. Silas and Timothy, they get left behind. Luke gets left behind. He's all by himself in Athens. And he looks around in Athens and all he sees is all these people worshiping all these false gods. So he gives one of the greatest messages I think anybody ever taught. On Mars Hill. 
He said, there's power in the name of Jesus. A few people got saved. But in Athens, he was met with something he'd never seen before. Apathy. They didn't care enough to beat him. So he left Athens on his own. Walked 53 miles to a little town called Corinth. Well, not really a little town. 300,000 people lived there at the time of Paul. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think all these places are small, right? 300,000 people lived in Corinth. Corinth got to be a popular place because every single sailor who wanted to go to the other side of Greece, rather than sailing around the Isthmus, would go to Corinth. At Corinth, they would offload all their stuff and carry it to the other side. It was short, short distance. And they would put it on another boat. And they didn't have to worry about crashing their boat, trying to get around the horn. Bad storms there. The Romans came in and destroyed Corinth, and Julius Caesar rebuilt it as a Roman colony. Now at the time of Paul, 300,000 people are there. Nero, later on, is going to build a channel, cuts right through. You can still go to Corinth and see it. So instead of having to park the boat and carry the stuff off, they could just float through the channel. But I wasn't there yet. 300,000 people. Corinth was the Vegas of the ancient world. You know, you guys seen the commercials, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Same thing in Corinth. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Big party place. You know, you could do whatever you wanted to do. The whole city built around the Acro-Corinth. You guys have heard of the Acropolis, right? On the Acropolis, that's where the Parthenon was. Several temples had an opportunity to go and see the Acropolis. Most Greek and Roman towns were built around an Acropolis. The same thing in Corinth. It was called the Acro-Corinth. On top of it was the Temple of Aphrodite. 1,000 priests and priestesses traveling around town with sex for sale. Come on, it's not that much different, is it? We don't know of places like that in our world? Sure we do. Only, it's not 300,000 people in them. Maybe in Vegas. 300,000 people. Paul comes walking in to Corinth, and this is what he sees. All of them lost souls. But Paul's tired. You ever felt that way? Paul's kind of wore out. Paul's getting a little, I don't know what you call it, tired of getting beat. Well, Jackie, how do you know that's true? Well, it's easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Paul writes about his visit to Corinth. Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. Paul's tired. We know it, because as we look at Acts chapter 18, we see. We read the words of Paul in, in 
the letter to the Corinthians about all the beatings and the troubles and the issues that he had going through his life. And, and he, he, would, he would declare later on, he boasted in his infirmities because the power of God was made evident in his life as a result. But as he comes to Corinth, you are talking about a tired man. His second missionary journey, he's going to spend almost three years, been a long time been a long battle let's pick it up acts chapter 18 we'll read it together it says after these things paul departed from athens and went to corinth and he found a certain jew named aquila born of pontus who had recently come from italy with his wife priscilla because claudius had commanded all the jews to depart from rome so he came to them so because he was of the same trade he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads, for I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there. He entered a house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And he said, Do not be afraid. Speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. And saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason I would hear you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourself. For I do not want to be a judge in such matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you as we open the scripture this morning. God, we ask that you would guide us by your spirit. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Empower us, God, to receive the message you have for us this morning. Lord, that we might glorify your life as we seek to move from this place and to move forward. Even if we're weary and tired, wore out, may we learn the lesson, Paul, and how God, you encouraged him as you encouraged so many. God, we pray that you meet us in this place, Lord, and open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, Paul. I think he's tired, wore out. 
battle has gotten long and there has not been a lot of encouraging things. You know, we think about it in the first missionary journey, he was stoned to death, rose again or stood back up, walked back into the town, beaten, chased, drugged. When he came home after the first missionary journey, I'm sure he thought when he got home, somebody was going to be there just to have the fanfare, you know, people clapping, woo, good job, Paul. But as soon as he got back into town, they were there complaining about the things he was teaching. So he had to go down to Jerusalem and have a council at Jerusalem to look at the things that he'd been teaching. And all the disciples of, of Jesus who were there, they all said, Paul, you're right on the money. I don't know what those guys are talking about. We didn't send them. So you go back up there and tell them, and here's a letter from us saying you are on the money. So he goes back to his home church. He gives them that letter. Everybody seems to be on board. He says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. His second missionary journey he has a big fight with Barnabas. His best friend. Big old fight. And they split. They go two different ways. Well, we don't know if that relationship was ever really reconciled. We do know his relationship with John Mark was, but... Bible doesn't tell us what happened with Barnabas. He, he picks up another guy, Silas, and he says, we're going to go back through the, and visit the churches that started, and then we're going to go into Europe. So they go back through those places, and they pick up a young man in Lystra, where Paul had been stoned, named Timothy. Timothy got saved after watching this guy preach, get drugged out of the city, stoned to death, get back up and walk into the city. Timothy said, I, I need to have what that guy's got. So he told him, there's power in the name of Jesus. Timothy went with him. They went to Philippi, beaten, thrown in prison. Thessalonica, beaten, had to escape in the middle of the night. Berea, beaten, had to run, flee to Athens. Now he comes into Corinth. At the same time all that stuff's going on in Paul's life, there was a couple. They're always mentioned as a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is a man, Priscilla is his wife. They were believers already before they met Paul. I don't believe Paul is the one that led them to the Lord. We'll talk about that a little more as we work our way through the book of Acts. I think they got saved in Rome. The Bible tells in verse 2 that Aquila and Priscilla, while all that stuff's going on with Paul, they're in Rome and there's a ruckus in Rome. And Claudius, the emperor, throws out all the Jews. You know, we can read about that in history. You know what I love about the Bible? What I love about the Bible is I can ascertain the truth of everything spoken of in the Word of God in history. If it mentions a person's name, you know what? If I go to the town where he grew up and I dig enough in the rocks, I'll find his name. It's there. Claudius, we read from history, from Suetonius, who wrote about Claudius. He said, Claudius threw out all the Jews because they kept coming to him, the Jews, kept coming to Claudius and complaining about these people who followed some Christos. You heard of that guy? Some people think that's his last name. First name, Jesus. Last name, Christ. See, there were believers there and the Jews were complaining. That they were teaching about some new God. And Claudius got so tired of hearing the Jews complain, he threw all the Jews out. And among those were the Jewish believers. Two of them, Aquila and Priscilla. What happens when you get thrown out of Rome? Look, they don't let you sell your house. You don't think that the emperor said, okay, all you Jews, sell your house and leave. What do you think he said? 
Get out! That house is my friend's house now. Go away. That business you got, that ain't yours no more. That belongs to somebody else. Get out. And I'm sure when Aquila and Priscilla are leaving, we know it happened around 49 A.D. They're leaving around 49 A.D. and they're looking around. Wow, where should we go? Lord, where would you have us go? They're believers already. So they say, well, I don't know. Let's go down to Corinth. Okay. They get down to Corinth somewhere around the year 50. Paul comes walking in about 51. Just so happens. Aquila and Priscilla are in Corinth, and they just so happen to be tent makers. Know what the Bible says? They were tent makers, and so was Paul. You know what that word tent maker means? It means a worker of leather. They can make all kinds of things, not just tents. They make tents, they can make belts, they can make saddles, they can make anything out of leather. So it was something that they could utilize when they went places. Every rabbi taught somebody, not only should you study the word as a Pharisee, but you've got to learn a trade. Otherwise, you're going to have to steal. So they taught him a trade. And Paul, walking into Corinth and looking for a purpose, seeing all these lost people in the crazy lifestyle of Corinth, and as he comes walking in, he, he starts to look around, where I, I need to find some leather worker so I can get a job, and he just happens to walk into Aquila and Priscilla. What's the big deal about them? Paul mentions them six times in the scripture, and every time he mentions them, they're starting a new church. Or they're encouraging a brother. Every single time. The church is going to meet in their house in Corinth. The church is going to meet in their house in Rome. They're going to find Apollos when Apollos is starting to teach. And they're going to say, Apollos, you're a little off. Let us fix you. Man, what happens is Paul bumps into Aquila and Priscilla. He runs into the things that God brings to encourage us. What's that? Faithful workers. People who will be co-laborers. People who come alongside. Paul's tired. And he runs into Aquila and Priscilla. You know the other interesting thing about Aquila and Priscilla? Most of the time, Priscilla is mentioned first. Now, that's uncommon for ancient literature to name the woman first. Why in the world would they name the woman first? I will tell you. Because Priscilla is like Kathy. And Aquila is like Jackie. They rhyme. Kathy, Jackie, Aquila, Priscilla. You guys see the connection? Here's the other thing I think. I think Priscilla was like Kathy. Kathy's an encourager. If you spend five minutes talking to my wife, you'll feel better about yourself. I don't care what you're going through. You spend five minutes. You, if you bought yourself the biggest hole that you can throw money in, this horrible house falling down all around you, and you are discouraged beyond belief, call Kathy. Say, Kathy, come look at this house. She'll walk in. She won't see what it is. She will see what it can be. That's somebody you want to spend time with, isn't it? What if you're really low and you're struggling and you're having a hard time really getting to focus? Wouldn't it just be like God to bring you around a person like that? A person who can encourage you and tell you it's going to be okay. Things will get better. 
Every once in a while, Kathy acts like me. And I tell her, look, I didn't marry you so you could become like me. I married you so I could become like you. There's none of this flipping the other way action going on. You are Pollyanna. That's her job. Man, she does it well. Most people, when they think about us, they say, have you seen Kathy and Jackie lately? Hey, that's not a slam against me. It's a positive note for her. I think that's what Priscilla was like. I think Priscilla was really positive, encouraging, exhorting kind of person. And you felt better for having been around her. And so when Paul would think about that couple who are always mentioned together and never apart, sometimes he would say Priscilla and Aquila. They're my friends. They encourage me. Don't we all need people like that around us? Don't we want friends to encourage us when we're getting low and when we're struggling? And so Paul just happens to find himself in Corinth looking for a leather worker. There's Aquila and Priscilla who just got thrown out of Rome, which seemed like a pretty bad thing. But all the while, God's orchestrating this to bring these people together, to plant them in the middle of Corinth so he can do something amazing. That's what God does. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Isn't there? So... Paul finds these guys. And when he finds them, look what the scripture tells us. It says, because he was of the same trade in verse 3, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So what did he do as a result? He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, here's what I know by the language that is used in that verse. Paul's not preaching to the masses in a synagogue. And he's not pushing hard. He's reasoning with one person at a time. And little by little, he's making a difference in some people's lives. But he's busy. He's a leather worker. He's working every other day. He's got Saturday off. And when he's off on Saturday, he goes to the synagogue and he's speaking to people. He's still having a hard time wanting to throw himself right back into the mix again. And he's still missing his friends, right? Silas and Timothy. The Timothy, the kid he, he, he brought to the Lord. Silas, the guy who's traveling with him, which also means Luke. Because Luke's also with them, they're all together. So he's missing them, but he's found Aquila and Priscilla, and there's a little encouragement, so Paul starts to get a little bit back out there. A little bit, he starts to minister, he's reaching out some. What's the very next verse say? The very next verse says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was, listen to the language, compelled by the Spirit, and testified to the Jews... That Jesus was the Christ. You see the difference? The difference having fellow laborers, faithful workers means having people alongside. Nobody can do any of the jobs alone. Nobody can. You get wore out, broken down and tired. What is needed for encouragement is faithful workers to come alongside. I'm so blessed here. There are so many ministries and things going on. There's women's ministry happening that I have nothing to do with it. There's men's ministry that I have a little bit to do with. There's youth ministry. There's people reaching out to kids at the skate park every Tuesday night. you got people today going to go to the convalescent homes and they're going to minister for the next probably two and a half hours after church. Because people, faithful workers, are coming up alongside and saying, man, let's go. we got a job to do. 
It's not the great suggestion, it's a great commission. What is it? Go into all the world, make disciples of every man. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's the Trinity. Teaching them the things which I commanded you. That's the Word of God. And then Jesus said, the why. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm here. Go. Man, that's happening. That has to happen for a body, a church to be healthy. There's got to be lots of things going on, people reaching out. If it's not happening, something's broke. What do we need to do as individuals? We need to find a part of that to plug into. There should not be a person in the church who is not a part of something. Coming is great. Thanks for being here, but that ain't it. Being encouraged in the Word is important. Learning and growing in the Word is important. But you become like the Dead Sea. You only receive and you don't give. What's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? The Sea of Galilee receives water and water flows out. And it's alive. The Dead Sea, just water dumps in and nothing happens. Don't be the Dead Sea. Look for something. Plug into something. Say, where, can I, where are my gifts and abilities? And find a part, a place within the body of Christ where you can minister. And don't think something's not important or it does, it's not really a ministry. That's not really a ministry. I, if somebody ever tells you that, tell me. I'll come find them. Then afterwards, I'll send them to Kathy so they can be encouraged. <laughs> Everything you can do physically can be ministry. Everything. If you're doing it for Christ, for His name, for His glory, for His benefit. Got to find, got to plug in, and this is what he has. Well, listen, there's a couple of specific things that Silas and Timothy bring with them. And, and Paul writes about them in two other books. One, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen, Paul's writing about this moment that we're talking about in Acts 18. It says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. Where did Timothy come from? Thessalonica. And he finally made the journey and, and caught up with Paul in Corinth. And brought us good news of your faith and your love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, and we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, since you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Timothy comes and he says, hey man, the church of Thessalonica is booming. People are serving, people are getting into it and growing, people are getting saved. And Paul is encouraged by the word. He's encouraged that the places he's left didn't crumble when he left. He's encouraged that they're growing and that they think about Paul and they love him. And those things encourage him. So he wants to keep going. He wants to keep moving. So Silas and Timothy, it really encourages them when Timothy brings them this word. But in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us about something else. Philippians 4, 14 says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left for Macedonia... No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. The church of Philippi 
gathered an offering and sent it to Paul. There he is in Corinth having to work. He's working six days and on the seventh day he's trying to share, taking some time to share. But Philippi sends some money through Silas and Timothy and they give it to Paul and say, Paul, you don't got to work no more. We'll cover the working part. You study and go. Paul's encouraged. He's encouraged because his friends are there. He's encouraged because there's some support. He's encouraged because people are providing for him the time to be able to do the things that he wants to do. And, he, and as his, this encouragement flows through him, it begins to pour out. And what happens? Now he's not just reasoning with people one at a time. Now he is compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit is upon him in power and he's moving in power. He's compelled and he's reaching out and testifying <coughs> that Jesus is the Christ. And there is power in the name of Jesus. And of course, right after that, everybody gets saved and everybody lived happily ever after, right? Isn't that how it goes? You start to serve the Lord and, and follow Him and say the thing, and everything goes perfect. Perfectly lines up. That's right, right? All the pieces come together, no more struggle. You guys reading this with me? What's it say? He testified, and what's it say in verse 6? But when they opposed Him... It doesn't say, now, if they opposed him, what's it say? When? What's that mean? Is opposition going to come? Every single time. Look, if you become a believer thinking that you're going to have the easy life and everything's going to fall in place, and this is some magic deal for you to have ease, somebody lied to you. You come to Jesus Christ because there's power in His name and He's for real and He's true and He'll give you a relationship with Almighty God. We come for forgiveness of our sins. We come to present ourselves to Him a living sacrifice. Here I am, God, I'm yours. Take me, mold me, make me, shape me. It's for you that I exist and for your good pleasure. You're not going to find a place in the Bible where it says you come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. It's not there. He says, I will give you abundant life. Don't he? If you define abundant life as the abundance of junk, you are confused. Abundant life, that word means unstoppable. Do you know nobody can stop your life right now? If a guy walks through that back door in Idaho with a gun and starts shooting, two things are going to happen. Well, he's going to get shot because half of you guys are packing anyways. And <clears throat> people are going to die here. But what happens? When they die here, what happens? They go with Christ. They're alive with Him. They're alive with Him forevermore. Can anybody extinguish your life? So when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, life that cannot be stopped, He said, you're going to live forever. <coughs> That's true. But He didn't say life was going to be easy. Life was going to be simple. That everything would come together and work the way you think it ought to. There's going to be opposition. 
And that opposition is coming. It's a religious opposition that comes against us when we step out in faithfulness to the Lord. We step out to work for Him, to do something for Him, and God allows opposition to come. Because good things come as a result. Romans 8.28, what's it say? For we hope, is that how it starts? For we think, is that how it starts? How's it start? For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now what does all things mean? Does all things mean most things? Some things? A few things? How many things? All things. So all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Hey, God's going to use all that stuff, opposition as well. So Paul teaches, he testifies, he shares, and the opposition comes. And when that opposition comes, I want you to see what the Scripture tells us. And they opposed him, they blasphemed. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. What's that mean? Your blood be on your own heads. I'm going to go to the Gentiles from now on. Well, you have to know the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 3, God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I have called you a watchman for the nation of Israel. To sound the warning, judgment is coming. And he said to Ezekiel, if you won't sound the warning, then the blood of all those people who aren't warned is on your hands. But in Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord, building more on the concept of the watchman, He says, but if you sound that trumpet and they don't pay heed, then their blood is on their own heads and you are clean. God's called us to be the watchman. Is it your job to save anybody? No. You can't. What is it your job to do? Sound the warning. Judgment day is coming. It has been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Are you ready for judgment? The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No man can come to the Father except through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Only way to salvation. Not ten, not a hundred, not a thousand. One way. One way to salvation through repentance and remission of your sin, faith in Christ, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, what's the rest? Shall be saved. It's your job to tell. Now your job to save. When I first fell in love with Kathy, you know, I was telling everybody. Everywhere I turned, I'd say, man, have you seen Kathy? Dang, she makes my heart stop take a breath every time I see her. Man, 28 years later, I'm still doing it. Still doing it. Still love her with every fiber of my being and I ain't afraid to tell anybody. Do you tell people about Jesus like that? Or are you afraid? Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God, the salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you love Jesus, you're not afraid to tell people about him. It's not your job to save nobody. But it is your job to proclaim what side are you on. 
I don't want people to wonder. If you called people, when I was in the Marine Corps, if you called up some of the guys I was in the Marine Corps with and said, hey, Jackie's a preacher, they'll fall down and die. <laughs> they'll have a stroke. They'll say, you're kidding me. In fact, I talked to one guy like 10 years ago, and he's like, he's like he couldn't believe it. He's going to church in, in North Carolina, somewhere in North Carolina, in Boone, North Carolina. And he said, I would have swore if you walked into church, a building would fall on you. Because that's what we all started as something else, right? But God don't save us to leave us that way. He saves us to transform us. Man, if you love Jesus, you cannot help but sound the alarm. If you don't sound the alarm, if you won't tell people about Christ, if you won't proclaim that you are a believer, a Christian, someone who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ, you don't love him. They know two ways about it. If you love him, it just has to flow. It has to happen. You have to proclaim, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I love him way more than I love Kathy. And I can't stop. I can't not. I can't save nobody, but I can proclaim the truth so that their blood is not on my hands. They have to make the choice. I got to tell. And that's what he's talking about there. So what happens? He goes to the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshipped God, whose house was next door. I think this is going to become a problem. What do you think? He takes a God-fearer, Justice. Justice is a Greek name. The guy is a God-fearer. He, he followed Judaism, went to the synagogue, but he wasn't a Jew. But he lived right next door. So Paul stops going to the synagogue, starts going right next door and having church. Now, church didn't meet on Saturday. I don't care what anybody tells you. The Bible tells us very clearly that they began to meet on the first day of the week. There's only one first day of the week. The Sabbath day is the what? The which day? Seventh day. The first day of the week is the next one. That's Sunday. And to clarify it, they say the day when... The Lord rose from the dead. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday. It's called Easter Sunday, right? Sunday morning. Well, on Sunday he starts having meetings. And he has meetings. The first person there, justice. What's the second person that gets saved? Look what it says. The second person, it says, <clears throat> verse 8. Then Crispus, what's that next title? The ruler of the synagogue. God saved in all his house. You think that's going to cause a problem? The folks in the synagogue are looking around. They say, where's Crispus? He's supposed to unlock the door every Saturday. I don't know. He told me he's not coming no more. He goes next door to Paul's church. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, it started to ruffle a few feathers. In fact, they had to pick a new leader of the synagogue. And they were a little irritated about that. And then what's it say? Not only that, it says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So the folks would come out for the synagogue and they'd look and they'd see people gathered around the building next door and people getting saved and people getting baptized and the parking lot over there was full and stuff was going on and they'd start getting irritated about it. 
Because let's face it, the place where opposition starts usually is at some, somewhere within religious circles. That's how the devil dresses these days. What's the, what's the word tell us? All these people are getting baptized. All this stuff is happening. What do I know Paul's doing? Paul is sitting around going, oh, it's starting. It's starting. This is how it starts everywhere. People get saved. Cool things are happening. In a minute, there will be screaming, running. Someone's going to beat me, throw me in prison, strip off my clothes. It's so embarrassing. I'm so tired of this part of things. You know Paul's thinking that because you can read the next two verses. It says, then God came to Paul in a night vision. And he said, do not be afraid. Why would God say that to Paul? Because he was afraid. Right? If I say to you, do not steal my monster. Why would I tell you that? Because there's at least a possibility that you might be stealing my monsters. So he says, do not be afraid. Why? Because Paul is afraid. How many times does it say, do not be afraid in the Bible? 366. I'm not going to make you count them all. I'll just tell you. One for every day of the year plus leap year. Which guys didn't God say not to be afraid to? You can find one. He told David not to be afraid. He told Solomon not to be afraid. He told Jeremiah not to be afraid. He told Isaiah not to be afraid. He told Joshua not to be afraid. He told Moses not to be afraid. You find a hero in the Bible and you will find God telling him, do not be afraid. Why? Because every man who rises in the morning has a choice. Every woman who rises in the morning has a choice. How will you live your life today? Two, fear, faith. That's it. How are you going to live it? God said, do not be afraid. That leaves one choice. Faith. Trusting in the Lord. Faith. He says, live by faith. Do not be afraid. Paul was starting to freak out. He's starting to worry about what might happen and what could happen next because he's experienced it, right? When Abraham Lincoln was president and the Civil War hadn't broke out yet, he was traveling across the nation, visiting with people and telling them about what was going on in the, in the country. Now, in those days, they didn't fly. They didn't have Air Force One. They didn't have Marine One. They had my horse and your horse and let's go. So they got on these horses and they were really struggling because at the time of the year when they were traveling, a lot of the creeks were at flood stage. And it was very difficult for them to cross these creeks. And every creek they crossed, the guys would say, man, that creek was really hard, but Fox River is coming. And Fox River is insane this time of year. I don't know what we're going to do when we get to Fox River. And they were really freaked out about it. And they travel, they cross another creek. And as soon as they cross that creek, oh, that creek was hard. But Fox River's coming. And one day they stopped in the tavern. And in those days, the, the taverns were your hotels. And they pulled into the tavern. And you know what else the tavern was? Not only was it the tavern and the hotel, but sometimes it was where the circuit-riding preacher came. And they come walking in, and there is a circuit-riding preacher, a Methodist preacher right there in the tavern, getting himself a room, and they come in, and Lincoln comes in, and they go, Sir, you, you travel around these places a lot. Have you ever crossed the Fox River? And he says, Oh, man, 
I have crossed the Fox River. It, it is a pain. It is big, and I have crossed it probably a hundred times. But this one thing I do, what's that? I don't cross it till I get there. See, sometimes you start paying for it long before you get there. You spend weeks and weeks worrying about it and weeks and weeks fretting about what could happen and what might happen and what's going to look like and what's going to go on and you pay interest on worries that don't belong to you. He said, I don't cross it till I get there. Maybe we should take a lesson from that. Don't cross it till you get there. Corey Timboom was... She was a little girl. She was at the train station. She'd tell her daddy, 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 I need a plane. You you get the train ticket. Where's the train ticket? I got to see the train ticket. Can I see the train ticket? Can I hold it? Can I have it? No, honey, I'm not going to give you the train ticket. But dad, I'm really afraid. What happens if you lose my train ticket and I can't get on the train and you leave and I get stuck here in the train station? And he'd say, baby, stop. I'll give you the ticket when it's time. Years later, when Corey Timboom was in a concentration camp and her sister was being killed and she was filled and covered with lice and all kind of human filth and living in a lifestyle that you cannot even really imagine, people would come to her and say, Corey, how come you're not freaking out? And she'd say, my father in heaven will give me the ticket when I need it. If I need the ticket, I need strength, God will give it to me when I need it. If I need a word, God will give it to me when I need it. Not always two months ahead of time. He'll give it to me when I need it. Do not be afraid. 1 John four, eighteen says this, There is no fear in love. How much fear is there in love? No fear. That's none, right? How much fear is there in love? None. No fear in love. There is no fear in love. Do you love God? Uh, We struggle with loving God, don't we? You know, there's this fella, one of Jesus' really close friends. His name was Peter. You guys remember Peter? At the end of the Gospel of John... Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? What did Peter say? Yay, Lord, you know I like you. Oh, come on, you're crazy. Read it in Greek. Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, I like you. And then the Lord said the third time, Peter, do you like me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that's all I can do. I want to love you, but I can't do it. How much does God love you? Does God love you enough? Because the word says there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. So if you have a hard time loving God, you just let God's love for you be enough. It's enough. You trust Him. Do not be afraid. 
What's the next section he says? Don't be afraid. Then what? Speak and do not keep silent. What's that mean? Keep on serving. Don't be afraid. Keep on serving. God, I messed up. Lord, I'm struggling. It's so hard. I have a bad attitude right now. I have this or that. The Lord said, don't be afraid. Keep serving. Don't be afraid. Keep serving. Don't stop serving. Don't quit serving. Don't go do something else. He says, keep serving. Keep ministering. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? You remember we read it earlier. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was struggling with something in his life. And this is what he wrote. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Don't be afraid. Keep serving. Don't be afraid. Keep serving. If you don't serve, if you remain silent... Your fear will imprison you. And only boldness will overcome it. Keep serving. Why? He answered that in the next part. I am with you. I'm here. I'm with you. He is here. He's under me. He's over me. He's inside me. He's all around me. He's not shut in. He's not forced out. He is wherever I need Him. He is with me. That's why. Because God is with me. The last words of John Wesley, the very last words he spoke as the Spirit of God was ushering him into the presence of God. He said, the best of all, God is with us. And then he died. God is with us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. I will never turn my back on you. His presence is here. That's why. Keep serving. God is here. He is with you. Keep moving. God is here. We sing songs like Jesus Move. I love the song, Jesus Move. But listen, we get the idea that we're waiting for Jesus to move. He's always moving. We're not connected. We got to get connected. How do we get connected? Don't be afraid. Keep serving. He is here. He's here. Keep moving. Keep serving. Keep being a part. What's the next thing he said? I'll protect you. Do you believe God will protect you? Man, it must have been hard for Paul, don't you think? God said to Paul, no one will hurt you here. He'd been hurt before Corinth and he will be hurt after. But God promised him, you will not be hurt here. He believed it because God promised it. Do you believe God's promises? 
I got a lot of hurt and pain in my life. Do you believe what God's word says? Because God's word says that he will never waste a hurt. That means you never suffered something for nothing. That God will use it to bring about good. What are you talking about? Yeah, God uses your hurt to help someone else sometimes. He all the time uses it somewhere. He uses it. What's he say? Trust me. Stop being afraid. Stop worrying. Stop freaking out. Keep serving. I am with you. I will protect you. God will not let anything touch you that doesn't pass through his hands. If it touches you, he will also give you the strength to bear it. Is that true or a lie? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And with each temptation, he will give you a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. People say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Let me fix that for you. That is bunk. The Lord will always give you more than you can handle. But when God gives you more than you can handle, he also will give you the strength to overcome. For we are more than overcomers through he who loved us. He'll give you the ticket when it's time. Don't be afraid. Keep serving. I am with you. I will protect you. I have a plan. Look what he says. There are many people in this city that I have. I love that because they're not really his yet. Well, they are his because he's God, but they haven't been saved yet. But God already counts them as being saved because he knows they're coming. I got a lot of people getting saved in this town, God said. Don't you sweat it. I got a plan. Your life will be fruitful. You ever worry about whether or not your life will be fruitful? Will my life ever bear fruit? Is anything ever going to happen? Is it always going to be like this? God's word said, God's promise to Paul was, you will be fruitful right here in this town. You will bear fruit. So what's the word tell us? He continued there for a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. He did what God asked him to do. And what happened? No opposition. What does it say? Then when Gileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Oh, here we go. This is the part where the screaming and the crying starts. The people get up, they grab me, they drag me up before they start yelling about all the bad things I haven't done. Making all these accusations, and that's what they did. They said, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gileo said, Look, if this was a matter of the law about wicked crimes, then I would listen to you, O Jews. Somehow, seems like there was a few crazy other words in there. But, if it is a question of words and names and your scriptures, your law, you see to it. And then he chased them all away. Yeah, he chased them all away. He brought in all the soldiers, and they chased them away. And then what happened? There was a new ruler of the synagogue, right? Do you see what his name is? It says in the next verse that some of the Greeks took Sosthenes. What's it call him? 
the ruler of the synagogue. Sosthenes, who was there, probably the vocal point. He was probably saying, hey, we got this guy is no good. You got to do something about Paul. And they start chasing him out. And while they're chasing him out, have you ever met one of those guys who always had one more thing to say? You ever met those guys? Like, dude, if you say one more thing. So while the soldiers are pushing Sosthenes out, he's, he's turning his head back and saying it. You bunch of worthless dogs. Why don't you guys do something? I don't believe you won't do anything. And so the dudes were tired of hearing Sosthenes, and they started beating him. The Bible says... Galileo didn't care. He just let him beat him. And they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him until they were tired of beating him. It wasn't Jews beating him. Don't let somebody tell you they gave him 39 lashes. That's not what it says. It says Greeks beat him. That's Gentiles. They don't have rules like 39 lashes. They beat him until they were tired. And all the Jews were chased away. But there was still somebody there. There was still somebody there who'd been through all that before. Who'd been beat. Who'd been stoned. Who'd been hated. He was still there. Still there. Who do you think picked up Sosthenes and nursed him back to hell? Believers were all around him. And they scooped up his broken body and there was little Paul. Standing next to him saying, hey dude, I've been where you are. And I know it hurts. And we're going to take care of you. But you know, funny thing is, God never wastes a beating like this. I've been through a lot of them. Let me minister to you. Because I've been where you are. Is that a powerful way to minister to somebody? Let me minister to you because I've been there. You don't understand. My husband left. Let me minister to you. I've been there. Isn't it great to be able to talk to somebody else who can say, yeah, I felt that way. I hurt that way. I struggled that way. God never wastes a hurt. Oh, Jackie, come on. You don't know that Paul was there and he picked up Sosthenes. It's not anywhere on the page. I just read the next verse. He's Paul's heading to Ephesus. We don't know what happened. Are you sure? Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So while you're thinking about that and wondering how we know that about Sosthenes, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 1, 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 1. You just got to go to the right a little bit, past Romans. And you come to 1 Corinthians 1, 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Oops. There he is. Yeah, he got saved. He got saved because God doesn't waste hurt. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is opposition in the name of Jesus. And God has a message for us. He's got a message for us today. What's His message for us today? Do not be afraid. Stop borrowing tomorrow's trouble. The Lord says, look to me. I love you. 
Keep on serving. Keep on ministering. Keep on caring. Keep speaking in my name. Because inactivity will only imprison your fears. Believe that I am with you. And that I am everything that you need. And I will give you all the protection you need. Believe that your life will bear fruit. It will. I promise. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. Study in your word. Father, I pray, God, for those who are weary and tired, that you would speak encouragement through your word. Paul was there. Jeremiah was there. Elijah was there. David was there. Moses was there. You can't find somebody who wasn't. But to each one you spoke the same thing. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just trust in me. If you get hurt, I won't waste it. If you bleed in this place, I won't waste it. I'll make it count. Trust me. I'll only do what's necessary. I will only allow what is necessary. I will be the strength you need to overcome. I will be the strength you need to endure. I will be what you need to be able to be what I'm asking you to be. God will give us everything we need. But I don't have this. He said, in your weakness, I am strong. God, I pray that you be strong in us. That we recognize the field is white for harvest. And we're to pray that the Lord would send laborers into the field. And we're looking for someone else, but the laborers is me. The laborers is you. The laborers is us. And the field is outside that door. May we go and be the watchman you're calling us to be. May we go and do the work you're asking us to do. May we go and bring glory and honor and majesty and power into the name of Jesus Christ. Because we love Him and we can't stop telling people about Him. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. May you do perfect work in and through us, God, as we go from this place. There are souls out there that don't know you. Who are going to perish without you. You have called us your watchmen. How will they know if you don't tell them? Lord, may we be what you're asking us to be. In the power of your Holy Spirit, may we set aside fear and take up love and faith and hope. May we go into all the world that you send us. 
and bear the banner of Jesus Christ. May we bear it high. May they know us. May they know who we serve. May they know us by the love that we show to one another, by our willingness to continue to move forward despite the difficulties that come against us. May we know that opposition is coming, guaranteed. And may we go anyway. May we bring honor and glory unto your name. And may everyone forget ours. It ain't about our name in a banner or on a billboard. It is about the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. Not if you lift you up. So God, use this place, use this town, use this church, use these people. And change our world one life at a time. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. I want to invite you, if the Lord has spoke to your heart and you need prayer, there will be prayer counselors up front that will pray with you. God bless you guys and go in peace.